Hi everyone, we'll start in like a few minutes. Hi Serena, how are you? Hello, good, good, good. Weekly recap. Yay. <laughs> and we remember everything we heard. I, I, it's long forgotten. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let's wait a few minutes and then... I was actually going back. Remember the um, the brain organoids one? Yeah. I was just reading the the cell paper, the the actual work behind it. It's really fascinating in light of what we've been talking about with oscillations. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it is. It is really cool. I'm not sure. I don't think I invited them or I tried to invite them. I'm not sure. I should maybe. I think we just talked about the news article because I hadn't read it at the time. It was yeah. an open discussion, so it would be great to get them. Yeah, to if you talk. can send me the link again. I can. I, I'll send you the cell paper. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I'll check then if I wrote them or not because I'm kind of starting to lose track. We have so many people coming up. Oh yeah, no, there's, it's, it's a lot. We just had the intro meetings with the guest speakers for tomorrow. It's such a pity that the one is at 10 a.m. The guy is so nice and he's so good. Also. I'd love to see that. That's, that might be a replay I have to watch. Yeah. He's so nice. It was really nice to have him. Like to chat with him and get to know him. Like. Oh, that was nice. Okay, I sent you the cell paper. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'll check. We have. I think too many people maybe will come, like from our group. I think Victoria has something else going yeah, on. Yeah, Victoria's got another. I saw Dr. Shaw hosting another room too, so. But um. just fine. We, we can. Oh yeah. I have all the links and <laughs> <laughs> my half of my brain here. <laughs> okay, what do we got this link up on top? Okay. Shall we just start and then we can all I mean yeah, we should just start. So Monday we had Dr. Singh here and the title of the room was Machine Learning to find new rare earth compounds. Oh yeah, this one. Yeah, that was, so Dr. Singh, he is at the Amos Laboratory in Texas. <clears throat> He's a researcher there. And this Amos lab has been a leader in rare earth research since the middle of the 20th century. They made a, a wide variety of uh, discoveries um, that will have uses for or had uses for clean energy technologies, energy storage, and permanent magnets. So, this research is, was based on machine learning. Hi, Frank, how are you? Let me make you a moderator. Um, yeah, so hi. hi. Um, um, he, Dr. Singh's approach was to use machine learning um, that 
um, and he will to find these um, and he improved basically <clears throat> um, the machine learning algorithms to uh, make this rare earth to use and upgrade the Amos laboratory rare earth database and also uh, high throughput density functional theory and um, to uh, in order to build this foundation for their new machine learning model that will be then soon accessible for everyone to use. Um, and uh, yeah, this, was, yeah, go ahead. go ahead. I was just saying it was, it was really cool because they, they prepared a, a really consistent database of density functional calculated structures. And they were able to, uh, so they had a rich, clean data set to train on, um, but they were able to tease out the relationships between um, how molecular properties and different types of properties um, would uh, would be able to, uh, well, for given structures, it could predict, you know, where those properties would be. And it was pretty fascinating because it, it wasn't a completely conventional machine or um, neural network approach it was more traditional uh, machine learning but it what it the result of that was it gave it could give them insights into why something was better or worse um, because it would re relate more cleanly to the relationships of the of the descriptors and the molecular properties um, as you varied the structures and so it gave you much more of an insight into um, why something is better and what you might do to the structure to, you know, to improve it. Yeah, so what they had before was um, they um, used, they were, before they knew about this uh, new, when they were creating new materials, they only knew um, or like could construct ordered materials um, that were quite well known to get to these results um, with like um, regular methods that were used before in history you would never be able to add disorder to the known materials and um, because then the number of compositions they become so large like up to millions that you could not investigate in the all the combinations using um, previous um, like theories or experiments like you cannot possibly try all of these in the lab so that's why their uh, approach is so uh, important and makes the work so much more efficient for other people also in the future because they will make it accessible for everyone Right. It was a little confusing, and, and some of the people that joined late asked the question of how it helps find, you know, rare, rare earth metals, because <laughs> we're having these supply chain issues because of current, um, you know, geopolitical events. Um, but uh, it wasn't a, a actually a hunting tool um, geographically. It was a way to make better use of the rare earth metals that 
you know, that we that we do have by making more advanced compounds and uh, improving the efficiency of the properties. So it was really important work for designing new materials uh, because the rare earths, they do have special properties. I, I asked him about, well, can we get the same properties? Will this tool help get the same properties or similar with um, more common elements? And, um, you know, his, his uh, you know, impression was that they, they, these rare earths, they really do have uh, special properties that are, it's harder for the common elements to exhibit or unique properties. And, um, you know, the examples of uh, efficient magnets is, is, is one, but, um, you know, um, so it was, it's, it's a more of a design tool than, uh, um, you know, a, a selective location for mining type tool. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that particular one uh, leave a uh, you know very uh, strong impression uh, that uh, army that uh, it's a uh, uh, like. Uh, 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 Serena and Karina shared the uh, doctor saying uh, the work on the uh, uh, very ingenious, uh, 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 I mean, innovative uh, way of using machine learning algorithms in, uh, in uh, high, uh, uh, in the keywords high high throughput uh, in, in a manner to uh, in new uh, element, uh, new com compounds, say, uh, the, 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 their uh properties uh, f uh, you know function function functions as a uh, 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 properties as functions of their composition right so the the, the way they they do the um, uh, setup is the I believe that they, they have a, uh, a, a two layers of uh, uh, descriptors features uh, whatever the uh, to begin with I mean at the lowest level is the um, the mathematical operators like uh, the most basic one like uh, plus minus um, uh, multi multiply division and uh, exponential for example the um, so th these are the uh, first layer of their uh, 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 features, then uh, they do a, a high, higher level. Uh, uh, I mean, the, I, I, if I remember correctly, that they do a sparsification of that because that's that that space that uh, uh, combinatorically it will be huge, right? So, in, um, in order to, uh, uh, but I mean. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, guided by the desired properties, say mm -hmm. uh, three or four of the final composition. Uh, uh, then, for example, molybdenum, uh, 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 whatever the, the the rare earth compound, and then you can uh, use that to sparsify uh, the. The feature space and the the dimension, the dimension of the uh, the, the space of the search. Then using so, uh, 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 I think the learning relies on the uh, 
the TFT method, uh, the computation. So from from the uh, most, yeah. So the, uh, yeah, that was the so the DFT gave the original structures and the basis calculations for them to do the properties. But you're right. The first layer was linear combinations of these different properties, and there's there's so many use the machine learning to rather than an exhaustive treatment to find the um, the the best fitting and, and most descriptive combinations of these descriptors. Um, it was I, I I've seen in er, in earlier you know a few decades ago you know it. In single groups would work hard to come up with, you know, one or two of these uh, linear combinations of properties to predict, you know, a, a, a higher order property. So it, it was, it's a real um, powerful data set and technique to, you know, discover these, to leverage machine learning to discover these relationships. So that was really good. Yeah, should we go on to the next one or do you want to? Sure. Cool. The next one we had was a physics room about the universe and how gravity emerges. I think that was really cool. So uh, we had the title of the room was Dr. Pearson and his colleagues, uh, how gravity emerges uh, based on their holographic principle. And the three guest speakers were Dr. Robert Behrman and Dr. Tristan Collins from the Calmers University and Daniel Pearson from MIT. They were all here presenting their latest paper. And basically, they mathematically described, we had the previous guest speaker here talking about, um, you know, um, his theories um, solving the same, uh, trying to answer the same question just with a very different approach with uh, um, AI and quantum computing and they uh, used a mathematical um, approach to shed light on the secrets of the universe, specifically um, unifying the theory of gravity, uh, Albert Einstein's theory of gravity with quantum mechanics, with the one from quantum mechanics, which has been a challenge. And their work gives us a really quite deep insight into um, the phenomena. Um, and um, if you click on the paper, you can see their approach. So um, they basically looked at phenomena such as black holes um, to um, answer the question of um, how gravity emerges in a u and come up with a unified theory. So their description was quite interesting um, that if you see with the holographic principle they presented, they explained it in a very easier to understand way. If you have a can of soup, so basically your universe is a can of soup with everything in there. And what they use is they read out the description 
of the ingredients of the soup on the what's written on the soup can and with that description they basically reconstruct what's inside the soup and the recipe so not just they don't with their mathematical model they don't just know uh, what you know the universe is made of we know but then also how um, it emerges in that way and how gravity emerges in that way I'm not sure, Serena or Frank, if you can describe it better in kind of their wording they used, but uh, this I remember quite well with the kind of soup description. This one, you know, I didn't, I, I, and I frequently look for, you know, okay, where what is that light bulb going off? And, you know, all right, then now I know what the universe is made of. Um, this one didn't do it for me. I didn't really get um, how they arrived and what their the, what their their insights were. Frank, did you get did you have insight into what their uh, what their result is? You know, and I even just read the their their conclusion section, and it. Um... Well, they they basically came up with uh, they described gravity as a geometric phenomenon um that they can not just only make this very with their mathematical model they cannot just only describe very simple forms like a sphere but also more complex forms and i think that is what what they added on um of the work that was done before that before these mathematical models could just come up with a very simple uh, geometric, geometrical uh, description, and they can with their model you can basically uh, describe many different, uh, more interesting like our universe, more interesting um, uh, geometrical um, phenomena that happen in the universe. I, I don't think I have uh, anything to add. I, I missed the room. Yeah, I mean, I get their formalism. Um, it's capable of, of more complex descriptions. I guess I was just looking for something um, more of a of a, um, a tangible result, <laughs> but that doesn't happen in this in that field too often. Um, oh yeah, something more like yeah, intuitive kind of <laughs> just this mathematical descriptions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think their talk was really good, how they described the whole question, how they came to, um, you know, to come up with this model, like with this description and what it means, like in very easy terms. I think they did a really, really good job at that, of doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes the this, the work in cosmology it's so um, abstract and complex that uh, uh, the really successful physicists often have a really good roadshow, <laughs> and they're good at explaining these abstract concepts. I I just I I wonder if I was just too distracted at the time. Dr. Shah had a really good question. Dr. Shah, did you want to come up? She went really into the detail with her question. 
but I can't remember right now what your question was. But hey, how are you? Hi, hello. How are you doing? So, what was my question exactly? I remember this one was very challenging one. Well, he he was surprised. Through. He said, "Oh, that's a very technical question like that." So. <laughs> yes, I think I started with very easy question. Then I just jump into the hard part. I mean, let me remember. But that was very fascinating work, I think. And they were very confident about the result. It's just Serena, do you remember? I mean, I your question. About, well, I, I don't I remember. remember. I remember I was impressed with your question, too. <laughs> I don't yes, remember. Yes, I was, remember. Yeah. Coherent state, I think. That was my question. So uh, about part of the paper uh, that was about the beta configuration. And I just said that what is the difference if you want to compare that with the black hole? is considering the black hole formulation because we have an intermittent state in a black hole. That's why I asked the question and I was just mm -hmm. wondering about it. Do you remember his answer? He could not answer, right? <laughs> he said, no, he I'm so impressed with you. <laughs> <laughs> so if I can you find that. So impressive questions all the time it was really great yeah there was another paper i remember back in time that was about the black hole and i found some similarities between this paper and that paper but that state can be very interesting state if that was similar to this paper equation that they just provided i remember yeah i just asked questions like related to previous guest speakers we had if they know their work and if they yeah if their work basically align and agree but they didn't know it's the work so uh, but would be maybe interesting to invite like a group back um like the few guest speakers we had on this topic back and um yeah and talk together i think it would be interesting after summer i'm sure you made it wonderful schedule for after summer because you have this decision to bring them up yeah yeah like after summer <laughs> sometime in the fall <laughs> exactly um great shall we move on to the next one next one was actually our member here uh dr rupesh um he i don't know if you know him everyone but i guess so He's here all the time and he finished his PhD in January and talked about his <clears throat> nanospacer work. And this was his presentation. I can also put up the, he has a few papers, like he, he published a bunch of papers and um, he mostly talked about how he proposes a nanospacer that is made of an a chiral plasmonic metal, a nanodisc, and two-dimensional dimensional chiral gain medium uh, with the monolayer nanoflake of a transition metal dichalcogenite. I'm sorry, TMDC, which is way more easier. 
So, um, yeah, he, his presentation was really interesting. So basically, he came up with uh, ways to um, realize this uh, nanospacer laser, like nanospacer. And the interesting thing about these nanospacers is that they have a really high and very very high energy in a very specific precise spot and i thought that was really interesting and you can also have a right circularly polarized light and a left elliptically polarized light and you can switch really fast between those two which i also think is really really valuable and very interesting and um, we talked then in the end a little bit about different applications um, one could use for this um, to detect maybe different biological materials use it at sensor and then the last suggestion we had was um, if we could use it to charge those quantum batteries that uh, previous guest speakers, Dr. Jim and all uh, from South Korea presented here because they would need for these batteries a very strong, precise um, laser. Uh, so uh, we kind of suggested that we should invite them back together and let them talk about it here on stage. So I don't know if you have more to add. I missed this one. It looks faster. I'm looking through the presentation and I really wish I could have seen it. Um, looks really fascinating. I wish Rupert. That's why I remember Serena was not there and I know that uh, you have a question all the most of the time. I know your focus of your research is the calcium channels. And I was just wondering what type of question you might ask them up in this presentation <laughs> well yeah that's well, calcium it's certainly a recent obsession definitely um but i i would be very interested in i wish i would have made this one i was off doing domestic things <laughs> but um wow I, I think i'll look through this presentation some more you can ask rupesh at any time i guess because you know he's here all the time so yeah. Yeah. So I, I was uh, uh, in this talk, uh, and uh, Rupesh is the type of a researcher, really, you know, friendly with a you know clubhouse audience, right? He he, he himself, uh, uh, I think he he regard uh, clubhouse beneficial. That's why he uh, hang out. So this, I mean, I think uh, we should get him on board if he is willing to join Katrina. I think uh, I I learned a lot, and his his research so, uh, the the uh, so rich. The the direction is uh, very fascinating in terms of, uh, I would say, very popular in a way that in contest matter, the little I know of. I mean, the uh, uh, there's a uh, the spacer is actually a uh, uh, terminology like made specifically to mimic like laser is uh, also kind of a coherent uh, but the 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 uh, uh the, the particle the it uh, underlying is not uh, like the, it's not photon but it's a 
uh, quasi particle they call the xi uh, polariton that's uh, uh, essentially it's a, a very uh, um, uh, near surface type of a wave that is the photon interacting with the dipole <coughs> electric i mean of the material right so <clears throat> this has a, a lot of uh, applications in and potentially in in terms of uh, uh biology uh, uh it it it's uh that they the 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 uh, the system that they uh, choose is a nano uh, particle like gold, and with a dielectric kind of a uh, uh, shell that uh, uh, you can think of you apply them to uh, cancer tissues and uh, do uh, in you know in uh, in vitro or in in vivo type type of a spectroscopy uh, near field. That's that's what. Uh, yeah, so I think this uh, this this research is uh, uh, they actually uh, is a application of the most uh, most advanced research, say uh, topological materials uh, uh, or topological insulator, or whatever the and then to, uh, make it uh, applicable uh, in I would say near future, maybe ten years, maybe. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, towards a uh, you know significant uh, 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 field like uh, cancer and uh, you know bio neuroscience uh, bioimaging. Well, I, I've seen they use um, plasmon resonances, and I've seen there's a kind of spectroscopy, the surface plasmon resonance spectroscopy, that's been used to characterize um, in cell membranes the surfaces of the different complexes that are forming. And um, you know, in lipid rafts and things, and all kinds of receptor complexes, and uh, studying lipids and diffusion through them. Um, those would be de pretty delicate systems. This looks like it's a high powered system, but I'm looking at one of the um, charts, and it's amazing that they have such tight resolution in the nan nanometer region. Um, it's really fascinating. Yeah, so he's working in the cancer department now to, I guess, use this type of tech, starting to develop this type of technology for detection of cancer and also maybe for treatment. Yeah, it looks like if this, if this thing finds anything that it doesn't like, it could blast it to smithereens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yep. It does make sense, especially recently there was a news about the, I mean, ovarian cancer and developing of the new system for targeting the ligand, which, uh, I mean, I, I think in this slide there was a potential and he just explained, but my question was about the two different uh, spacer. If we want to put two different spacer in the same cell, as long as we have a different expression, I mean, inside the nucleus versus the cytoplasm, what's going to happen? Is that possible or not? Oh, that would be cool to have. Um, so it can focus in a particular, you can set the, you can select nucleus over surface. I suppose you could. Well, that would be really cool. Can you also see if a protein is, left or right and because i think 
you can detect some diseases if they kind of switch but also for basic biology research would be interesting if they switch the the and what makes them switch basically but you mean like misfolded proteins yeah i think yeah, I ha let me look it up first before I say it to something that doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, coralities uh, uh, of uh, macromolecules. I think that's the the research. Uh, yeah. Uh, contribution. So yeah. Yeah, they they switch uh, during disease. It's a theory, uh, or also during different physiology processes. Um, yeah, it would be interesting if that if you could detect it precisely with this, would be really is cool. It, is it um, chi the swapped chirality like in the tertiary or quaternary structure of the protein? You mean? Um, so the uh, the uh, the uh, so the. Uh, uh, the the light that they uh they're, they're see um for their material systems is is I I remember there are two loci, uh maybe in the um, reciprocal space that are minus one and plus one, that's uh, uh related to say uh, graphene the uh, Dirac uh, cone that uh, uh, the the structure that is the uh, somehow they they are able to uh, they they I mean the results shows that the uh, the the two uh, loci kind of uh, interact with the uh, right uh, right circular uh, light uh, polarized light versus the left uh, circular uh, um, uh, circular light differently. So in this way, that uh, uh, I mean the the huge potential of application will be the near field uh, spectroscopy of. Uh, uh, the 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 uh, you know uh, already the molecules with uh, macromolecules with a uh, chirality that uh, will interact with uh, you know the the the, the polar uh, change the polarization of light di differently uh, given that uh, what kind what kind of uh, light you probe them so this uh, uh, that's what I I got I I got from from the the, the result yeah yeah that makes sense that it, um that the proteins are going to respond differently to the circularly polarized light, I guess. Uh, but just having the resolution on top of that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Down. So they, they're, uh, I mean, the the feature size I think is twelve nanometer, yeah, or even lower. Yeah, so that's, so that's a very fine probe. Great. We had a while ago Lewis McKenzie, but there was also a morning. Um, talk from the UK and he uh, developed a rapid time resolved circular polarization luminescence emission spectroscopy that could look at the chirality um, uh, and uh, yeah he developed a system it was a while ago uh, was in March sometime Anyways, that was interesting. Eric, you were here. I think you, you really liked the, you almost missed the room. I don't know if you remember. And that yeah. was late. Yeah. <laughs> that 
Jamie was there and Victoria was by herself. Yeah, I, and Jamie. That's how Jamie showed up the first time on Science Society. Yeah, I happened to uh, just talk to the researchers, of, uh, I guess people involved with that work, a few months before that. So there, the the uh, use of uh, entanglement or that kind of measurement process was very fascinating. So the fact that entanglement could tell you something about chirality was just mind blowing to me. Yeah, that that one was so good. And I was late because of work uh, at my work stuff. Then, um, yeah, Victoria was here by herself. And then Jamie just came on and they were both from Scotland. So they just started chatting. So Victoria thought he was part of Lewis McKenzie's group. <laughs> <laughs> let him take over the room which was totally fine because I wasn't there <laughs> and then Eric also came later so that was very funny <laughs> anyways anyways we always have questions no matter what topic <laughs> okay let's move on to the next shall we Is that good? Um, okay we had Dr. Alaham here talking about her Parkinson research, which was really cool because she looked actually at the T cells, at the immune cells, and how they react to alpha-synuclein. And uh, here's her paper. I also have a presentation. If you prefer the presentation up here, uh, I can also uh, do that. But um, so, um, what she does in her lab, as I said, she looks actually at the immune cells, how they respond to Parkinson in this um, in this article, but also Alzheimer's and so on. And she um, characterizes um, the role of the T cells in the in Parkinson's disease, and they perform RNA sequencing on the PBMCs um, that are on the peripheral um, CD4 and CD8 memory um, T-cell subsets um, from the patients. And they had um, age-matched uh, healthy controls um, in their study. Um, and um, they looked and they found that um, the T-cells from the Parkinson's patients had um, a specific responsiveness to alpha-synuclein and um, basically an inflammatory autoimmune response um, that they detected there, which is really interesting because, and you know, the, the paper goes more into detail, so that's her presentation. But the cool thing about this, this actually happens, um, they found before, you, most people have um, the onset of really severe symptoms. So this could be a really good tool where you can just draw blood. You don't have to look into the brain because that's how most people try to approach this before. You can just um, draw some blood, um, characterize the T cells, look if they are over responsive to alpha-synuclein and have like an early um, way of detecting Parkinson 
and do something about it and maybe also find out mechanisms in the future to treat because it is theorized that this um, this severe immune response also co contributes to um, the development of actual Parkinson's disease. Um, so I thought this is really cool and her research is, yeah, it's very interesting. I missed this one too, but I'm looking at the paper. So is alpha-synuclein, that's another, that's a misfolded protein like the amyloid, right? And is that, um, do these, it's, it's the T cells recognizing the misfolded form and reacting to it or? Um... Yeah, exactly. And they are kind of overreactive and the uh, immune system is kind of a, over alert uh, autoimmune it generates an autoimmune response basically that they theorize so that's the work they are doing right now uh, to characterize if it's an innate problem of the immune system of the um, of people that have parkinson that basically alpha synuclein itself laying around is maybe not that horrible, but if the immune system goes crazy, it can then lead to um, to real Parkinson um, and cell death and so on. So, um, and they want to, they are checking if it's an innate thing from some people that the immune system reacts this way so far. They couldn't detect that these T cells overreact to other uh, triggers differently than, than from healthy people, let's say to common cold viruses and other viruses, they seem to have a similar response. So it could be that it's more um, like it's more um, precise that overreaction. So or it's like the the misfolded alpha-synuclein is antigenic. It's not just like it's an overactive immune system. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what they are studying on right now. And they can just detect it from, from a blood. Yeah, from... that's a cool thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, and this is actually happens very early on, this immune response that the T-cells are reacting this way. So, yeah, many people only realize they have Parkinson when over 50% of their dopamine cells, releasing cells are already dead. So it's really late to do something about it. So this will help uh, in that direction. It's really a breakthrough, I think. Yeah, actually, that was, I mean, the point was the early diagnosis, actually, for those patients that uh, they have uh, symptoms, because uh, in a, before the Parkinson's disease starts, sometimes the patient starts to developing some symptoms. So it can be very helpful for the early detection, especially for those people that they are reporting those symptoms. Yeah, and the early stages can be anything, right? It can be so many different things when they're just a few 
not very severe symptoms. So this would really pinpoint yeah, it Yeah, even very right easy. Away. A sleep disorder can see in too many of the people, but it cannot be definitely, uh, re I mean, symptoms of the, for example, Parkinson's disease. Is there a way to specifically teach the immune system that, you know, those antigens aren't so bad, calm down? Or um, as opposed to, you know, raising an antibody response, but actually uh, lessening the impact of what was once antigenic, once it learns? So it's kind of uh, autoimmune uh, fixing. Uh, apparently, it seems to be easier to train immune system to fight cancer than to um, delete basically an autoimmune disorder. However, I read something recently that they were working on that and maybe achieved something, but I have to look it up. It would basically be an autoimmune disease treatment. Should we move on to the next one? Uh, okay. Yeah, breakthrough in cancer therapy targets autoimmune disease. There it is, February 9th. CAR T therapies um, that usually in, make the immune system stronger to cure cancer, apparently they found a way to um, use that technology to treat autoimmune disease. It was a published a report in Nature. Okay, yeah, so they are working on it. Not sure how how well it works yet in humans, but yeah, I think that's right because as a part of the paper, I remember that it was about CCR five, so that's kind of chimerism, and it can be related to the CAR T therapy. But I mean, I think all of these approaches need to get this cautious, as always. I mean, as long as they are talking about innate immunity, that's very different because we are just dealing with the two. Uh, kind of TH1 and TH2 before differentiated to the CD4 or CD8 or whatever. But we should see how it's going to work out. Yeah, the problem with these therapies is so far, unless we, we kind of get to the allogeneic uh, stem cell harvesting, is that most patients are really old, right? Um, and harvesting good stem cells that you can really scale up to make effective treatments out of it. It's really, really hard in older patients where these diseases occur. And um, yeah, that that's another big um, methods problem. So unless we can create allogeneic treatments or uh, transplants of immune systems and so on, that don't evoke an immune response, then we can take stem cells from younger patients, just, just keep growing them and um, yeah, and then use them for treatment for older patients, 
that's a that's still a big problem in all of these treatments. I didn't read that paper, but that's totally correct, because the problem, for example, in a cancer is about the solid tumor. They are very hard, and you just mentioned about the allogenic, I mean, feature of the tumor, for example. It's just uh, causing all of those immune response against the immunotherapy or drug resistant. So that's why they're just using the cartitherapy in a period of the time for changing this response. Yeah, that was correct, allogenic one. Okay, then we are already on Friday. Uh, that was the, uh, no, that was actually, wasn't it Saturday? It was Saturday, right, Dr. Sarwit? Um, no, it was Friday, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we'll have the Saturday room. Um, about neomorphic devices, he's a researcher from, um, he's in Switzerland, uh, working at IBM, and um, he presented these two papers that are really, really interesting. Uh, I think Serena would do a way better job to summarizing this, but you basically, like the basic idea of motivation for this research is that you kind of, like with the current, um, the current um, models uh, that you use for AI, um, are really not, um, don't generate a really intelligent intelligent AI. And why that is, is that you use, you have to use a lot of energy to come up with a, um, a good AI generated model um, to recognize, let's say, pictures and what's in the picture. And, uh, there are many reasons for it, but one reason is that you don't have basically this plasticity and um, embodied, but in an artificial embodied plasticity and uh, also changes in excitability and so on, what you actually have in our actual neurons or biological neurons. And um, the theory is that if we would do so, we would uh, be able to gen make chips that could perform in a way more efficient in a more efficient way these um, computations and also in a more precise way and that's what exactly what was achieved here uh, or what Dr. Sarwat achieved here is he um, he uh, created this phase change mem transistor uh, synapses um, for mixed plasticity neural computations and um, yeah I don't know Serena do you want to well yeah it was it it's, it was really cool because um, it's actually uh, modeling a synaptic uh, junction that can uh, you know it can alter its, its strength um, physically by the by the degree of phase change in the material uh, that corresponds to the in essence you know w what you would want to think of as the weight but it's really um, the uh, the ability of, of you know the neuron to active the presynaptic neuron to activate the postsynaptic neuron and so um, 
through uh, applying either voltage or light, um, you can modulate that. But um, it's not a computational model in a sense, it's actually a physical uh, hardware. And so and it's an assembly of a circuit and material where the phase change material is more the long-term potentiation um, across that synapse. It's, uh, it's early research. I was excited about it. I asked him when we can get our hands on this stuff. And he was not so fast. But um, it, it represents, an, you know, that it, it, it's an exciting new area of materials development and uh, neuromorphic chips that um, are a little better. You know, we're getting a little better. I, a lot of us think that the contemporary, you know, deep learning methods are, are in a, um, you know, are, are, are well, I, I want to be positive. Um, well, they're sort of stuck at a certain level of fidelity that we already know biologically there's much more going on. And the much more going on part is um, going to help us make progress to, uh, to better AI. So when we see these types of developments in hardware, it, um, it you know, it's, I certainly embrace it as a, a better direction to go in. Um, can't wait till we get into astrocytes, but that's a whole nother <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah, so what they, yeah, so these are basically, um, they, they are basically they are demonstrating a non-Van Neumann um, device um, that can, yeah, do really computing that uh, is more powerful and kind of cognitive way. And they can also um, have um, frameworks that are from you know known from neuroscience such, such as short-term um, plasticity and spike timing dependent plasticity and stochastic cup fields um, neural network so um, this this brings a way more so with their short-term plasticity and the time dependence um, of uh, spiking um, time-dependent spiking, taking that into consideration gives you a more granular um, uh, and more precise um, image processing, let's say, for uh, if you want to imitate the visual system. And, um, they, they then showed that in the paper. Yeah, what's exciting, um, that's a good point, it, because it's a non-von Neumann type architecture, it's a, you know, a physical system. The actual uh, timing that, you know, these, uh, you know, the, the learning, the short-term potentiation, the spike trains, um, you know, can get down into the nanoseconds. And, and so that, you know, if we can construct these large arrays of circuits that we train, the possible response time would be several orders of magnitude uh, faster. Um, so there's some excitement exciting um, considerations there. Kind of scary yeah. ones too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, the difference is what was done before to kind of imitate this 
long-term and short-term memory type of um, um, computation, like to imitate what is going on basically in neurons, was that you had to have uh, really complex transistor circuits that were, you know, generated. <laughs> you had to have really big computers with those uh, circuits and, um, you know, they are big and also consume a lot of energy. So these Mimistrov devices, they are, you know, way smaller and consume way less energy and, um, and are, you know, also perform better. So I think this, um, LTP and STP plasticity that they could handle that in their um, in their mem transistors is really cool. I, I really like that. I think that was was quite yeah. Ener energy efficiency is a big deal because if you want to have billions of these things and run them on small batteries, you know, for mobile applications, you need this kind of breakthrough. But um, yeah, just the energy efficiency and the time and how much you're actually, because you're not computing it in software with an algorithm, it's actually a physical system that gives you the similar function. So it's, yeah, it's really cool. And yeah, what they want to achieve is to have like a commercially available tool at some point. He pointed that out in the end that we had the previous guest speaker here, Pascalis Kutupenis. Oh, I forgot how to pronounce his last name um, correctly. Um, that had created this with neuromorphic devices, these oscillations that are comparable to these, um, to like brain section or brain um, recordings. Uh, but he pointed out that this is cool for basic research, but not really for a long time leading into really actual commercially available devices at some point, but they, uh, how they are building it is supposed to lead faster into um, device. Um, they use a combination um, of non-volatility from amorphous crystalline phase transitions and volatility from electro electrostatic changes in these PCMs. So anyways, but then he still said he doesn't know when, when it will be actually available, but, it, but I thought it's still interesting. Yeah, it wasn't an entirely fair question for me, but yeah, he's in research and he doesn't, um, at least the way um, IBM research worked when I was there from that you're not, um, you know, you're not directly under pressure to put out a product directly. You know, if it, if the technology is, uh, looks promising, then, you know, a larger development effort will take place. And, but that doesn't always involve the original researcher. So, but I had to ask anyway. Because sometimes they, like with the quantum computing, they they put an SDK kit out on the, you know, they made some available on the cloud and and offered an S, you know, a software development kit so, you you know, people can experiment. 
I was hoping they'd do something like that with these. It'd be fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was our week. And um, I think it was a really good one last week. I had fun listening and speaking with, we had really good guest speakers that were really great uh, public speakers, I think. Um, so, and they enjoyed it. Like, um, yeah, especially um, Sarwat, he, Dr. Sarwat, he like said at the end, oh, how great of a job we are doing and how much fun he had. And he will definitely be back and a few others said the same. So yeah, it's also fun to hear that they enjoy to come here and interact with us. So I think that's great. Okay, so this week, not next week, this week. So tomorrow we have two rooms. We have Dr. Rich Spontek. Uh, he will talk about his research and improving efficacy of CO2 capture. We met him earlier today uh, to introduce him to Clubhouse. And he's really a big deal scientist, but he is also really, really nice. And he was a lot of fun to talk with. This was a whole room before already. <laughs> the conversation was so much fun. And uh, I'm really looking forward to his talk. Eli too. Um, Eli was there in the in the intro room with us and uh, he, he will try to wake up so early because for uh, Eli is really early. It's at 10 a.m. EST. So I think this room will be really good. And then we also met earlier today, uh, onboarded Dr. Eric Finger on Clubhouse. And he's a medical doctor and he created this um, new method of um, making pancreatic isolate transplantation viable because before it wasn't to cure diabetes and he did that successfully and published it. So yeah, it will be exciting day. And then we'll have a room again on Friday with Dr. Singh um, talking about his work in artificial photosynthetic systems for CO2 capture, capture. That will be another really interesting climate change related technology room. And then on Saturday, we'll have Dr. Shoshani from, um, Eric, from your university. What was your university's name again? Water, uh, water, water. Yeah, Waterloo, exactly. He's from Waterloo. Uh, he's a theoretical physicist there. And he will talk about faster than light travel and time travel. Sorry, what's the name? So, uh, Dr. Shoshani. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can share the paper with you. Um, yeah, so probably Armenian background. <laughs> yeah, could be. He he. Um, yeah, he's also excited to come. So he's trying clubhouse for us. So yeah, and what then day is that? On... Hmm? Sorry, what day is that? A Saturday. Saturday. Okay, thank you. And then on Monday. And I have to meet with him, um, Dr. Felici from the Plasma 
Center in Switzerland will be presenting um, the latest work on controlling plasmas um, for nuclear fusion with AI. It's a collaboration between the Switzerland Plasma Research Center with Google uh, AI, with the Google AI team. I'm really looking forward to that because if fusion, they can make it happen, it solves all of our problems, climate change, CO2 capture, everything. So I'm, I really hope they'll figure it out and <laughs> we'll have them here. It's a great honor having them here. Really looking forward to it. Great week ahead. I, I really, at least I'll get to do the Tuesday evening room. I, um, it's too bad I'll miss the morning one tomorrow, but sounds fun. So I read that somebody in the audience wanted to know how to see our schedule. So if you click on the Science Society on top on this greenhouse, you'll end up on our uh, club site here on Clubhouse. Um, and you can become a member if you would like, and then um, there should be a section under, um, you know, the icon and whatnot up next, and then you can scroll through or swipe through um, the schedule, basically. We have a way longer schedule, uh, and we are now at the third week of June, like, starting to schedule after June 23rd now so um yeah but the on clubhouse you can only display so many rooms but yeah the next week and the week after should be should be included here um yeah we'll have the glia room also on the week after then oh no it's on the same day yeah, we'll have Dr. Felici at 1 p.m. and then we'll have the Glia room on Monday at 9 p.m. Serena, so <laughs> May 16, 9 p.m. we have the Glia room. Okay, have to see that. Yeah, and then we'll have also a room that week. That week will be amazing. Then we have on Wednesday, New Brain Pathway to Fear Discovered. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting systems uh, neuroscience um, study and then we'll have Dr. Bolani talking about gut bacteria that are associated with personality traits that will be really cool oh, wow <laughs> then we'll have on Thursday Dr. Gabeline talking about her research that she could tra uh, mitochondria transplantation in living cells Oh, which is that's amazing cool too it's because for rejuvenation that's the key and for fixing like stuff like autism and stuff like that i think that's the key for aging for sure because we know that with aging the performance of mitochondria that are older decline and that's a major issue um so and yeah and he uh successfully did that i don't know what's the name of the major rejuvenation guy that has that institute in california aubrey the gray 
he he attempted to do that right in his institute with a lot of funding and we'll have the guest speaker here that actually did it but he's not from Aubrey de Grey's um, lab and then we have on Thursday on the same day biomolecules um, behavior anal an analysis so how uh, biomolecules mix mixes communicate interact and adapt that's a really cool study. And then on Friday, we have a more fun room that dogs rec um, recognize um, human emotions, how they do that. And yeah. And then so Dr. Tang. Next about week. This. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, next week, not this week, next week. And then Saturday, we'll have mm -hmm. using molecular orbital based machine learning which is also oh, a really cool. big deal machine. Yeah, that will be like a major week that week. Great. Yeah. We really appreciate you, Katerina, for all of the guests that you just inviting to this room. That's pretty amazing. It really is. Thank you. I'm proud of that week. I'm sorry. But <laughs> well, like... that's a stellar week. <laughs> definitely. <didn't> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, yeah, I mean the same same here. I mean, I really appreciate the hard work you put in. The, this the last this past week was it's really a treat. Uh, I mean, especially those evening rooms. But uh, yeah, it's uh, so so. I mean, so dense is the teaching. Yeah, it's, it's really great, and the researchers did well in their explanation. And uh, are all quite patient. Yeah, it was it was really good, great, and also looking forward to another exciting week ahead. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, everyone. It will continue to be interesting. <laughs> I'm doing my best that it doesn't like go down. <laughs> like we didn't reach the peak. It will be still very interesting. So, yeah. Enjoy yeah. your evening. And thanks, everyone, for coming. Thanks, everyone. Bye.